Hey folks, thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get as seen by as many eyeballs as possible. You can also directly support Sex Talk as a super fan on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash sextalk with Erica Miley. And for just the cost of a cup of coffee, y'all, you should know I love my coffee. (laughs) You help Sex Talk with editing, hosting, and getting the word out to others just like you. Help to spread curiosity about sex and keep the knowledge bombs dropping to everybody that has or wants to have sex. And a big thank you to those of you who've already become super fans. You're rock stars and I so appreciate you. That's patreon.com slash sex talk with Erica Miley. All right, let's get into the episode. Sex talk with Erica Miley Cause sexuality is tough and okay, sex just isn't good enough, no. Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Hey folks, welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. I have the pleasure of bringing you Bianca Loreno, award-winning, award-winning ASEC certified sex educator, fierce-haired, I'm looking at her, y'all... Uh, Fierce-haired is for damn sure. Uh, black Puerto Rican foundress of anti-up and Latin Negro. See, whiting it up. I told you I'd white it up. Project and W-O-C-S-H-N. Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming. Thanks, Erica. Yeah, you know, look, it's it's how you say it. It's totally fine. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're going to cover a lot of stuff. We've been, we were already, before before we started recording, we were already lamenting because <laughs> we're just all so damn tired. Yeah. We're, we're talking today in the face of going through yet another trauma in this country, in the United States, for those who are listening abroad. Uh, we had an, essentially an attempted coup that happened in our country by white supremacists. And we're not gonna we're not gonna mince words on my show. We're not gonna mince words. This was by white supremacists who tried to take over our country. So I really want to talk with you a little bit about this because it's impacting all of our communities. So um, how are you? I'm hanging in there. You know, we talked earlier where you and I we've seen this coming. I feel like there's plenty of us who saw this coming and we're like, all right, <laughs> like what's what are the next steps? Um, <laughs> And, you know, I think for a lot of us, we're just exhausted, just like you said, you know, like it's where is the relief that we Mm -hmm. get to experience? Um, But then also, like, how do we process the grief and the rage that are just showing up at the exact same time? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Black Feminist Thought reminds us that, like, rage is a place from where we can theorize and create action. Mm. And I think... That's really important for us to remember, but also like we also get to hold that grief and honor it however it shows up. And grief is such a shapeshifter that, uh, you know, if you're just laying in bed and eating a donut like that. Is and that's all you good. got. Mm-hmm. If that is all you have to offer the world, that is it. And that's yep. okay. Do it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I just... I I keep I keep looking around and I keep going wow like the the thing you just said about anger I think is something that anger and rage I, I, let's be very specific because those two are very different experiences mm-hmm. and we are never especially I'm I'm going to talk about it as a woman we are not encouraged to 
act from that place. We're actually encouraged to not express anger in any other way other than socially, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, that shows up for um, uh, at least uh, I'm going to talk about my people, white women, uh, oftentimes socially in particular, that's where it comes out. Um I, I I wonder for you, I mean, we're, we might just, I can't help myself. I'm a therapist. Let's just jump, jump in deep. <laughs> yeah. How has rage like helped you form some of like your ability to express like on all of these pub, in public places like social media, how we need to be able to see our bodies and be present in our bodies? Yeah, you know, it's a lifetime practice. I just want to say that front, (laughs) figuring out like what works and what doesn't, which has been a really important place for me to to occupy. Mm. Um, Because I first think that I have to feel my feelings. (laughs) I have to rage. I have to feel that anger. And I also need to figure out like, where is it hold? Like, where am I holding it in my body? And I think, you know, sometimes a lot of my rage is in like my lower back, which is also where my rage around money <laughs> exists and capitalism <laughs> exists too. Yep. Um, but then also I feel it like deep in my chest as well. Sometimes like when I'm laying down, yep. I can just feel it just waiting on me. Mm-hmm. And I think knowing where it is in my body also helps me focus on like moving through it and mm-hmm. acknowledging that my body remembers things that I may not remember. Um like that's another thing that like these are emotions that I've had since I was like baby Bianca (laughs) so teenage Bianca you know and so honoring that rage that teenage Bianca had and and you know nurturing that I think is really important to reminding me that it's not displaced Mm -hmm. and you're not crazy yeah and that we are being gaslit as a fucking country (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you know this is this is what it can look like to inherit intergenerational trauma where we all are holding it we all have it and you know when I do a lot of my workshops I tell people none of us not one of us comes out of a white supremacist society without some cuts and bruises and amputations and disabilities like it's a debilitating foundational kind of experience and you know and I think from what happened on the 6th we I mean there was a white woman murdered in addition to several other people who lost their lives. And I think, I think it really is interesting to see how the connection is with the white supremacist violence we saw in Washington, D.C. And the white supremacist violence that we see, but don't call it that, at abortion mm-hmm. clinics. Yes. And how those communities are the exact same ones who are going to protest outside mm-hmm. of an abortion clinic. And, you know, it's it's really something that we're not talking about, the, the root of white supremacy around controlling people's bodies, telling women of all shades and mm-hmm. class status what they should do with their bodies, and mm-hmm. also the, the strong reminder that white women have a very particular role in birthing more white babies. You know, y'all mm-hmm. are the only ones who can do that. And yep. so white women are a very important part of a white supremacist agenda. And, mm-hmm. you know... We got to talk about it. And it's something that people have really shied away from, unfortunately. But um, mm-hmm. I think we can't, we can't not talk about it anymore. You yeah. know, Erica is like in our face now. <laughs> yeah, I, there's no, you can't, I think some of my anger from my, my anger that I had to, me and me and my husband were on a walk. And I had to, I had to like, just walk. It was like this, this physical energy that you were talking about of like this rage that's inside that's just 
cooking. It's just cooking on the inside. And so we are walking and not screaming at each other. We're screaming about what's happening and fundamentally acknowledging that there are people, I'm just going to specifically talk about, in my life that I no longer respect because they are silent, they are performative, and putting their lifestyle or fun of whatever the whatever it is before one protecting others from this giant pandemic that's running through the world. Um, And then also not being willing to acknowledge that there is hate just running our country, running it. And we white women have to, one, we have to take responsibility. We have to take responsibility, but then we also have to understand that there is a certain level of trauma that generationally has been happening for many, many, many years of many, many white men taking control of our bodies. And once we, wake up, wake up. That's all I'm asking you to do. That's all I'm, just wake up, join us, join us over here on, they probably call us the dark side because I'm a nerd, Star Wars nerd. (laughs) They probably call us the dark side. (laughs) I mean, no, that would be terrible pun. I mean, yeah, I know what you mean. And also, yeah, there aren't any great names for us that they come up with. Nope. <laughs> but also, it's not ever really too late to realize, wow, right. I've been doing it wrong <laughs> all mm-hmm. along and now I've been burnt and who can help me? You know, I think that's, you know, we're the side of interdependence and mutual aid. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's I like to think of us as um, people who are willing to show up for each other and be fully human no matter how messy that looks and gets. But also mm-hmm. that have firm, clear boundaries that if you're coming over here with hate mm-hmm. and an agenda to promote that hate, like it's just, mm-hmm. we don't have capacity for that. And I think yeah. that that's one of the big challenges that, you know, white people, especially in our field, maybe even older white people, emergent white people, whatever, I think don't understand that like, we don't have the luxury of hating white people as people of color, as black and indigenous mm-hmm. people of color. So the hate is not there for individuals. The hate is there for like this power structure that just doesn't allow us to penetrate and the ways that people, as you said, are silent. And I want to affirm that, yes, we do a lot of hard work quietly, but, you know, the kind of silence that you're talking about is not that kind of hard work. (laughs) You know, you're talking about people who are just real, like, I don't have anything to say about that. And the thing that I hear from uh, and that I have heard from many uh, of my white women friends who say to me, oh, I'm just not political. Mm -hmm. And that's a that's code, right? Like that's code for I'm silent and I'm not. I'm not willing to step out or be uncomfortable or challenge my own belief structures. Right. And this isn't for me to come over here and be like, I'm just going to, you know, rail the shit out of white women. I mean, it's not like we don't deserve it, but like, I want them. <laughs> I want them. I want them. Come on. Mm-hmm. Come come on. Wake, wake up. Take the veil off. I promise. Mm-hmm. It, it's better over here. It it's You will have more rights. You will... If we all get access... <laughs> it's better for all of us (laughs) and that includes you all of us includes you yeah and that you know I think it's really we're seeing eugenics in action Mm. I think you know that's really how it's showing up for me I'm a compromised immune person so like I have not left my house unless it's to see a doctor Mm -hmm. um 
And yeah, I, I feel you. When I see people who are just showing us what kind of eugenicists they are by traveling outside of the country, by mm-hmm. running amok wherever they want to go without masks, mm-hmm. and, I mean, whatever. Like, that's just showing me, okay, you don't care about other human beings and also mm-hmm. that you don't care about who's going to die because yep. you don't think it's going to happen to you. And that mm-hmm. is just a great slap in the face to me where I'm just like, I'm going to die if I can check COVID. You know, I'm just very clear about that reality. And, yeah. um, you know, uh, it, we'll see. I mean, I don't, like, what else is there to say? We're tired. <laughs> like, That's what yeah. it is. Like, we're tired. Exactly. <laughs> just... Nobody's safe <laughs> at this point. Exactly. I do want to make sure that we we talk about we because we've already been talking about bodies and and how how we're all just completely exhausted. I do want to poke on something that you said that I think is really important: the inner teenager, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where often, like, I think about our insides. Like, we've got a council, Mm -hmm. like, and we've all got an inner kid. We've all we've got an inner teenager, and usually that's where like that's where our inner rage lives. And I think that we want to like kind of put that teenager away. But in times like this, we need that teenager. We need that teenager to come out. So I'm encouraging all of you to go, go on your Spotify, go on your Apple music, go on whatever it is, go find that album that was so influential to you when you were a teenager. And I want want you to put it in your headphones and your ears and actual headphones. I want you to lay on the floor and I want you to sing it as loud as you fucking can. Mm -hmm. Because we need to tap into that teenager one, but two, when we sing, we actually <laughs> create a lot of really good chemicals in our body yeah. and it really can reduce and calm our nervous system. So when we're going through a crisis like this, we are going through actual trauma and yeah. we have to treat ourselves like we are actively going through an injury. So Bianca and I are here to tell you, take some naps, eat a little food, and then let your inner teenager out and, and we'll, be, we'll, we'll be okay. We'll get through. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, the only way is through, you know? Like, so. That's all we got. It's yeah. the only option. Absolutely. So let's talk about the SARS that you've got coming up. And uh, let's first say what a SAR is, because I know we've got listeners who've never heard of this. So, Bianca, do you want to tell us a little bit about what a SAR is? Sure. A SAR is an acronym. And the letters stand for Sexual Attitude Reassessment or Sexual Attitude Restructuring. What I do is the reassessment because mm-hmm. I don't want to restructure anybody's brain. <laughs> um, I want people to reassess some mm-hmm. of the values and beliefs around sexuality, bodies, sexual practices and behaviors. Um, mm-hmm. And it really is an intensive for people who work with people. So not just for mm-hmm. sexuality professionals, but really for anybody working with other individuals and human beings. Yes. And so my SARS are over three days and right now they're all mm-hmm. virtual. And they're five hours per day with a couple of breaks in between. And that's really intentional because I want my work to be accessible to people whose bodies are not able to sit and look at a computer screen for five straight hours a day. (laughs) But even though we're during, you know, we're a year into a pandemic almost, people Mm. still want to work as if we're meeting in person. And I don't, I just do not understand that perspective. All of my clients are telling me their employers are in, they're expecting very similar ability to be productive in quotation marks, mm-hmm. since you all can't see me. Like I, I, I can't understand that expectation. Yeah, it's totally 
a great example of dehumanizing labor and individuals. So yes, I do three days. It's about, you know, like I said, five hours a day. And we talk and look at videos and we hear songs and music and topics and stories. We do writing activities. And it really is this amazing intensive for us to explore the ways that we were socialized the ideas that we hold about a variety of different sexuality topics and content, um, but also gives us an opportunity to say, oh, wait a minute, I'm feeling a little bit of discomfort here. Oh, I need to learn to offer a referral. Who do I have on my referral list? Oh, I only have other therapists. Maybe I should add some other sexuality professionals to not pathologize someone's sexual experiences. So it really is an intensive for sexuality professionals to reassess the work that they're doing and to also figure out their own boundaries and areas where exploration and more training or support needs to be offered. And so SARS has been around for decades. Mm. My SAR, when I first took it, was in 2009 and it was horrible. Mm. It didn't have a guiding framework. (laughs) I wasn't clear about what we were going to talk about and why there were 60 people in the room for us to talk about such an intimate topic of conversation. Yeah. And so... care of like a person saying, Hey, this is going to be hard, but I've got you. So nobody, nobody doing that. And kind of, you got dumped into the deep end of the pool. Absolutely. With a bunch of other people who were older white people. So when I did it, I was in my early thirties and I just was so disappointed. I spent like $600 on it. Mm -hmm. And SARS are expensive y'all. They are. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get it. It's labor. And I need it to be extraordinary for me to dump that much money into something you want it to right. be an extraordinary experience right and you know my experience was not extraordinary it was you know we had data from 1990 and oh. I was like how is this flying um so that's just a little bit I mean the other thing was that we never saw people of color unless they were outside the United States specifically pygmy community members as if there's no culture of people of color here in the U.S. So oh my goodness. Y'all can't see my face. I can't yeah. <laughs> get the sarcasm off my damn face. It was, and it stays ridiculous. So very mm. cis-centric. Yeah. So very white supremacist in its approach. Mm. And also we don't see a variety of bodies. Like we would see an aging body, but it was still a person with a small stature mm-hmm. with an aging body and light skin and able-bodied. And, you know, it just didn't represent us as a community who live in this, you know, country. Ever since then, that was 2009, I started to plot and scheme. I was, this is a really great example of like rage. I was so upset that I spent this money, wasted Mm -hmm. this time, had crappy experiences by other participants Mm. responding to what I shared. Um, Mm. I was like, this has to be done better. And I know it could be, and it is. And so for the past four years now, I've been offering my own SAR experience that is guided by the same ideas of understanding our challenges, our boundaries, et cetera. But also, I've also challenged this idea of like, I don't think sex professionals, especially sex therapists, need to be comfortable with every single topic there is. And that's how you do your job well. That is an Mm -hmm. old school idea of how it is. (laughs) It's not realistic. Like if Mm -hmm. you're not comfortable hearing about somebody else's trauma around a particular body part, you don't have to as a provider. And mm-hmm. you get to say in a loving, caring, compassionate way, thank mm-hmm. you. Um, I have a really great referral for who you can talk to about this topic. You know, and that's okay to do. Um, yes. And that's something that I don't think a lot of emergent 
therapists are told. And that is one of my big issues with how therapists are being trained to become sex therapists. Um, yeah. I think that that's, that's something I'm trying to shift in my SARS is helping mm-hmm. people understand their boundaries and how to yes. put them into the work that they're doing because they too are human beings. You know, nobody is without their own values and beliefs and that's what it means to be a full person doing this work. Mm-hmm. And so encouraging people to stay in that humanity and also extend it to their clients is one of the guiding, you know, frameworks, but also being able to spend, you know, an hour talking about here's how I'm being led by a racial justice framework. Here's what it means to incorporate disability justice into mm-hmm. the SAR. Here's what it looks like if someone messes up or if someone uses language that's harmful we're going to call on each other. We're not going to call each other in or out. We're going to mm-hmm. call on each other to do better, to um, acknowledge that this is an unlearning and learning environment. And yeah. that's really the space that I want to create and be a part of. And that was language that I learned from my homegirl, Sonia Renee Taylor. You know, that mm. I don't want to be called out or in. We don't have time for that. We're in a SAR. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're going to call on each other. So if someone is going to misuse the language of crazy, I'm going to pause us and say, hey, there's a feelings wheel. We're not going to use ableist language here. It's going to take us a minute to unlearn that. So let's all collectively work really hard to not use the term crazy for anything other than what it is. So if you mean wild, if you mean out of this world, if you mean bizarre, say that instead. And people really appreciate that. (laughs) So it's something that I like to model and do with people in the SAR. And I know that this is an experience unlike any other because it's definitely not, not the experience I had. And hearing the horror stories from mm-hmm. other folks who have gone to other SARS by other folks, they're mm-hmm. just like, this is just the cultural appropriation of it all, Erica. Like people who yes. are like, think about what your spirit animal is. Don't do that, y'all. Don't no. do that. No, no. it's not even a part of a SAR. So stuff like that is, is the harm. I, I really need like a facial expression microphone. <laughs> Yes. I don't want to do video because I really just want to wear my PJs when I record with you all. But like, I, I, <laughs> I get what you're saying. Like, this yeah. is the, the taking the the white perspective and saying this is how this is experienced throughout the entire world, or say only bringing in these tiny what they would deem tiny experiences mm-hmm. as outside of the realm of what's typical. When in yeah. reality, it. I was I was just thinking about this and uh, talking about it on I think my uh, episode or two ago I can't remember they're all running together yeah. but like I'm doing this series right now I'm looking at sex across the world and I wanted to be able to bring in lots of different perspectives because I was really I've been really pissed that in any of my sexuality classes that I've ever taken across my career that. There is just this very narrow view of what uh, American sex looks like, one. But two, there isn't, there really isn't any program out there that says, oh, sex like, sex is like this in Sweden. Sex is like this in Morocco. Sex is like this in Japan. Sex is like this. And and these are the cultural traditions around sex. These are the cultural... One of the whitest men in the entire world, James May from, uh, um, I don't know if any of you have ever seen Top Gear. Uh, It's a British car show. Mm -hmm. Very white, uncomfortable man. (laughs) He did this entire show about Japan and he went to this uh, fertility festival and there are penises everywhere. 
yeah. everywhere. I had no idea that this existed. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm I'm somebody who's in the sexuality field. How is it that I've never heard of this? Yeah. And how is it that that my field has never taken like a global perspective in any way? Like there should be one, at least a minimum of one class where you sit in and you go, okay, this is what sex looks across, like across the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think people will do that to an extent, right? They'll do it because you're like, I'm going to show off the research that I've done and I'm going to apply this Western gaze mm. on what I saw. And it's like, no, 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 no. I don't want you to teach me the bullshit that you did in another part of the world. I want to know <laughs> what cultural relativism looks like when yeah. I'm actually working with a culture on their terms. And what mm. are the challenges that can come up for me? How can mm. I prepare for those? What What are the words and phrases I need to learn before I even try to go to another part of the world and do some research? Those, I think, are some of the really important pieces that people, yeah, we're not engaging with. And yet we're in a culture that in the United States, the people in our communities love, like how many times have we heard the word urban tantra? in the United Mm. States. I'm like, that is a very foreign concept in the Mm. United States with racially white people. Yet they're all deep into it. You know, so people pick and choose parts of other parts of the world that they want to honor and Mm. respect. And I think that is trash and a problem overall. And so Mm. I think, you know, my family lineage is in Puerto Rico. And so that Mm. has a very deep relationship with the transatlantic slave trade and with colonization of the United States. You know, Puerto Rico is still a colony. And so I think people forget sometimes that like, we don't have to go too far <laughs> to, no. to to learn about what are, what's happening in other places. And mm-hmm. also that people don't want to learn how what's happening in their homeland is negatively impacting other people abroad. And, you know, every time I, I'm in California now, and mm-hmm. a big thing here is to do land acknowledgements. And which I'm happy to do. And I also, I usually say I'm displaced from Puerto Rico because it's important for me, for people to know that I'm not here because I want to be here necessarily. I'm here because I can't go back home. It's not safe. Back home is also under a particular political uh, violence that is just too profound for a lot of people to really get, especially if they don't even know where Puerto Rico is. So, Mm -hmm. you know, but also this is like part of that rage where, for me, I was raging so much around the bullshit in our field that I was like, there has to be another way forward. And I was like, I'm just going to have to carve that way out for myself. And I did it. And it was a lot of work. It was lonely at times. It wasn't at others. But I, I'm really proud to have this you know, range of workshops that I can offer people that mm-hmm. really teaches us and models how to be human and how to be human beings and not to hide from our tears from our clients or how to interpret what does it mean to be someone that shows up for a client and listens with our whole body, not just with our ears, you know, and how can I communicate not just verbally, but in other ways. And those I think are really important pieces that sometimes we don't always get trained to do or understand. And you know, I partnered with um, my good friend Sonali Rathashwar, who mm. is also known as the Fat Sex Therapist on Instagram. Mm. And a lot of Sonali's work focuses on sexual trauma, trauma for South Asian, specifically Indian communities, and also people who are fat 
or super fat or infinity fat. So those terms that identify people who are larger than like a triple X or three X when it comes Mm -hmm. to clothing size. And when we talk about sexual pleasure and sexuality, a lot of people love to say, and Erica, I'm sure you've heard this, that our brain is our most sexual part of our body. Mm. And I'm like, no, it's not. We only know about 40% of the brain. Like, like we don't even know what the, like half of our brain does. The capacity. I mean, <laughs> you are not wrong that it is still this frontier that we do not. There's so many things that we are only beginning to understand. I mean, shit, we just started the, all of the, the research on the connection to our gut. Right. Like, and how, how it talks back and forth exactly. and how what we eat changes those things and what medications we take changes those things. Right. And I had uh, Brian Earp on um, on my show and he's done a lot of the psychedelic work with couples. And he we talked openly about like, we don't know. We right. don't know how all of these medications interact right. and we sure as shit don't know based on different body types. Yeah, absolutely. And that's on purpose, right? Like yes. it was created in that way. Like, these, yeah, these access points. And for me, one of the things that comes when we talk about ableism is like fat phobia is an example of ableism. They're Mm -hmm. not two separate, totally separate things. They like inform each other. Um, And so for this particular SAR, you know, we're coming with the understanding that like our skin is the largest organ on our body. That's the most Mm -hmm. sexual part of our body. And so what does it mean when people who are fat, people who are larger, people who have more skin are not seen as more sexualized or not seen as more Mm -hmm. sexual or Mm -hmm. really their sexuality is taken from them. Um, Mm -hmm. It's questioned, it's targeted, it's laughed at, it's ridiculed. And so what do we need to do to reshift working with fat people, humanizing fat people and recognizing that a lot of the oppression that exists in the world are not static. (laughs) Like that stuff can change. We just need to be a little bit more creative and also invested in humanizing each other. And I think um, that's one of the big reasons why I wanted to partner with Sonali. She does this work uh, mm-hmm. permanently. And she also offered this SAR a couple of years ago at our membership organization, ASAC. And it went really well. And I reached out to Sonali and I was like, hey, we need this now. Do you want to partner? And Sonali said yes. And it's been great ever since. So our first SAR happened in 2020. Mm-hmm. And... You know, we, we, I only do my SARS at like cap 25 people. And that includes me and the COVID leaders. So really just 23 people. Yeah. I mean, the intimacy that that creates is really, really important because Absolutely. you do, you're going through a SAR, which I've been through a SAR. You do need to be able to, to explore that unlearning and relearning, right? Absolutely. And the emotions that come. At, in, yeah. while you are going through that and doing, I, I think that you th- keeping that in a in a smaller forum allows those people to be able to honor those things. Absolutely. And people were really honest about that. You know, people were like, I want more breakout rooms or breakout room experiences. We use the Zoom platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but people were also really like, I don't want this star to end. I haven't been in a place where I can just be my fat self and mm-hmm. not cringe and to be exposed to fat people experiencing bliss and pleasure and to talk about how it made me feel and to write my experiences down and you know to learn about healthism and how the way that we use the language of health still targets and excludes disabled people, fat people. And that's not the work that many of us want to do. And so it really is an amazing time, I think, for this work to be offered. 
Um, mm. But it also is a space that people are really needing and wanting for themselves. And so this reminds me that like no you know, organization or even space or profession is offering this kind of support and training for professionals. And so, you know, we sold out the second SAR. So we created this uh, part two of the mm. SAR because we just had so much amazing content uh, mm-hmm. that we were like, we got to do, we got to do it twice. So we have a part one and a part two. And you don't have to take one before you take two. They're all independent mm. of each other. But, you know, we sold out and then we had pe- like five people who were like, is there a wait list? So Nolly and I picked two dates to offer part one and two again. So yes. part one is in April, part two yes. is in July. I'm going to try to go, folks, because I I just, I, I mean, I've followed both of your work very closely over the last few years. And I'm just, I'm, I'm just, we need more. <laughs> we yeah. need more. We need like, we need at least 25 more of the versions of the two of you right. because we do, we need, we need more, we need more perspectives so that every single human on this planet can find a professional in some circle that says, oh, that person, I see someone like me. Mm-hmm. They understand my experience or mm-hmm. they have a, a, a lived or a version or they have taken a training from someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And are informed enough to be able to hold my story right. with yeah. honor and care. Yeah. And uh, so, I can uh, see it modeled. And I can see it being done to other people too. And so mm-hmm. not, not just that like, oh, I get to buy into it now. But I think it's so often that when we talk about our bodies, it always has to be in a way where we feel shame or we're mm-hmm. trying to change it. Or, you know, especially now at the beginning of January, I mean, talk about being bombarded by like like, reminders. Like global, uh, well, here in the United States, there's serious focus, serious focus this time of year on like I, I have I have year after year trauma of I get so angry in my social media feeds when some sort of diet plan shows up like what yesterday it was like the runner's diet plan. I'm like, you fuckers. Right. <laughs> I report those as spam. I do too. <laughs> yeah. Every single one of them that comes yeah. up my feed. Mm, spam. Get that yep. shit out of my face. Because it's, it. Uh, I, the listeners know, and, and Bianca and I were talking before that I, I work with a lot of people who have dealt with serious eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the frustration that I have that it continually, again and again, without their permission, they are marketed more, mm-hmm. more body dysmorphia. They're marketed more. You are wrong. Your body is wrong. You should feel bad. You should be upset about it. When we're in the middle of, I, we're in the middle of a giant pandemic where no one can do what they did before. Right. It, can't we can't we put a pause on the idea of a resolution yes. <laughs> this time? Can't we just yeah not? Mm-hmm. I'm, no, I'm tired. I mean, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And not that being a part of like that, even though other things like nothing wants to get a pause. Like that's the th- that's the part that I'm just. This is capitalism at work, yeah. right? But this is also white supremacy that tells us, oh, you have to be, it's your individual choice. You have to be the best. You have to do it this way. Oh, it's urgent. And it's just like, we don't have to buy into that because clearly it's killing us. And, you know, the the conversation around people who have experience with eating disorders, like that is so important for fat people to be incorporated into that conversation. 
Because so many times people don't consider that as a reality, but also many people don't think people of color, like young Black girls or Indigenous Mm -hmm. women or other young girls of color, aren't also experiencing this. And this is really not the reality that we see. And, And so what does it mean for us to exclude certain communities and populations and then make up stories about how they're coping with the world that surrounds them? And... But also the misuse and the the abuse, the medical abuse of yes. larger body people who go to seek care mm-hmm. for, you know, eating disorders. Like that's a whole other piece of the work. We could do a whole episode. Oh my we gosh. Could just do, we could like, do a whole episode. People are like encouraged to get their stomach amputated because mm-hmm. they're fat. You know, if a mm-hmm. baby was born in the world with half of a stomach, they would have an operation to get the rest of the stomach created, you know? And and here we're treating fat people as if, no, 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 amputate a part of your body. Mm-hmm. It's really, really bananas to me when I think about it in such an intentional way. And then also, mm-hmm. you know, you can't see this, but I'm six feet tall. I mm-hmm. am considered a mid-fat person. And, you know, but I'm also huge. I'm six feet tall. So like, there's also that, other piece that goes along with and I'm not I'm the hobbit of the two of us I'm five four <laughs> yeah. with size 10 feet with hair on them <laughs> oh we can switch shoes we could <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's like and this is just the great example of like body diversity where mm. we can't tell what people's bodies mm. shape size like we can't assume someone anything about someone just by looking at their bodies and yet that's exactly what happens to disabled people that's exactly what happens to fat people. That's exactly what happens to people who are not in a normative body. Mm. And, and so we want to talk about all of those topics and bring them, bring them into a space where we can also be like, okay, let's talk about arousal. Let's talk about sexual pleasure. Let's talk about that. There's no wrong way for anybody to have a body. And that we also have body autonomy. (laughs) So what does body autonomy look like? Like what if someone does want to change what their body looks like? That's their prerogative. And it doesn't mean that they're promoting diet culture. Now, this came up recently last week with Lizzo, who like had her whatever, oh, she, the tea had video. Her yeah, and it's just mm-hmm. like, can Lizzo just eat whatever the fuck she wants? Because I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, it's none of our damn business. <laughs> right, exactly. If, and if Lizzo wants to put it on on her social media, fantastic, great. We get to, as fans, we get to know her a little bit right. more. Right. But also, like, it's none of your damn business. Whatever <laughs> that she decides to put in her body. Mm-hmm. I, like I I I find it really upsetting that that we just well I mean Beyonce has already showed us the way she does yeah. she only gives us like drops yeah. like she showed us the way you only get drops all of us yeah. need to like take her cue we don't have to give these capitalist companies every mm-hmm. single detail of our lives exactly but like I I just. I, I get so, I, I think really the thing that pops up for me the most is sadness, mm-hmm. is this, this deep sadness of the the body never being enough. Mm-hmm. And it's that it, it has to be this very weird, twisted thing that we've done in our culture, which is combined consumerism and bodies, mm-hmm. that the body itself is worth money. Right. And that's in the medical industry, that's in the fitness industry, that's in the health industry, that's in so many industries that the human body is a consumable. 
Hey, quick break from the action. Sorry for interrupting y'all, but it's important to acknowledge that life has become seriously difficult for many of you these days. With the world feeling chaotic, I mean, I don't know about you, but a pandemic sure did it for me. Uh, So many big feelings about all of it and the state of our world. It's impacted our daily lives. It's hindered us from planning and interrupted our mental and sexual health. I just want to take a minute to remind you that I'm not just a sex nerd. I'm a mental health therapist and I have a team of other like-minded badass therapists that are able to help you out. All my therapists are experienced and have been trained around sexuality, along with direct consultation with me if they need it. My mental health practice is completely online, so you can stay your butt at home and you don't have to park anywhere. It's really great that way. (laughs) With the lighter restrictions because of the pandemic, we're able to serve more people all over the United States and expats living all over the world and immigrants from all over the world. Just head to mentalandsexualhealth.com and sign up for a free consultation. I'm adding more highly trained therapists regularly, all comfortable with talking about sex. Again, that's mentalandsexualhealth.com. Okay, let's get you back to the show. Right. And if you're not producing something, you're not valuable. And that is just a direct violation of, I think, humanity. But also, Mm -hmm. what's the message that we send to disabled people when that's what we tell them? People, People who are disabled can work, just not in these ways that we expect everybody's body to function and move. And so, that's yeah, right. so many, and that's one of the reasons why I'm like only five hours for the SAR, lay down, turn your camera off. You know, all the things that I hear other SAR providers are like, no, you need to have your camera on. And I'm like, listen, this is not the Patriot Act that we're trying to enforce. Why do we need to <laughs> surveil people? You know what I mean? They already gave you their hundreds of dollars to attend. That's right. And they're, these are adults, most of them, over the age right. of 18. Like right. Exactly. Trust them to be adults and go to go to the bathroom when they need to yeah. and to, to, to put food in their mouths when they need it. Exactly. And so those are, you know, those are things that I just like to model when I do my SARS. I'm like, I'm going to eat this, you know, apple and peanut butter and mm-hmm. I'm going to put myself on meat, but she can still see me eat it. Like, those are things that I think are really important for people to see you being a human being. And mm-hmm. I learned that by grieving in public, too, by saying, listen, when my mom died five years ago, I was like, my mom just died and I'm hysterical, mm. but I'm here because I need the money and I got to do this training. So I'm at yeah. 30%. I'm going to be seated in this chair the whole time. So if I start to cry, it's fine. That's, you know, and, and people need, have never seen that and they need to see it. Mm-hmm. And it was just like this extension of like, oh, we totally get it. I never thought about why all our teachers are standing and walking around the room. Exactly. And it can still be a really great experience for everyone involved. And so, you know, those are some of the, the, the practices that I employ and that I really want to help people understand there's a shift that's happening and it's okay for it to happen. Mm. Um, and it's also why I create a lot of the, the trainings and offerings that I do. Um, and so one of the big offerings I know you wanted to talk about was Black Sweat. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at you keeping yeah. us on track. <laughs> it's a Sunday session that um, started in October of 2020, and it goes until the end of July of 2021. And it's one hour every Sunday for a sexuality opportunity for people to learn from emerging and seasoned Black mm-hmm. sexuality professionals. And we have some really amazing people who are talking about a range of topics, so things like Afrofuturism and mm-hmm. sexuality pornography and talking to your kids about mm-hmm. uh, that topic, 
sensuality and sexuality, which you had asked about with Goody Howard. I mean, there's just mm-hmm. such an amazing range of presenters that we may not know. And one of the things that I really get tired of is like all these lists of, oh, these 10 Black sex educators. And it's the same 10 people, Erica. I'm <laughs> one of those 10, but I'm just like, can we name other people who are doing this? It's not just the eight of us or the 10 of us or whatever. And also gives people an opportunity. Listen, I know it's hard to build relationships and Mm. that's what we have to do though. In this moment is build intentional relationships. And sometimes let's just be real. Sometimes white people don't know how to talk to people of color. And so I wanted to offer an opportunity. Like come pay for a ticket. Watch mm-hmm. this person do their thing, ask us questions, show up, show your face. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how you build community with us. And here's an introduction. If you want to work with one of us, now you have permission to email us. You have our contact information in the slides. You get a continuing education unit as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm always that rage that teenage Biaga has, that 43 year old Biaga has. I feel like those are. Um, I'm honoring that rage by creating different offerings that can help soothe the rage and also pay these Black sexuality professionals who have lost a lot of work since the pandemic started. So I'm I'm, excited about that offering. Y'all, come come with your pocketbooks. Seriously. Like, this is... I mean, we have had to... I I think every professional who was doing in-person work has had to become online creators in a quick way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I just, I also, am, I just want to honor Teenage Bianca because Teenage Bianca has given us a lot. Yeah. Yes, yeah. you are 43 <laughs> now, but Teenage Bianca is, is uh, worthy of some praise. And uh, honestly, like, uh, thank you for, for, com- for committing to creating community. That's, that's what you do. Oh, and I'm, I'm just, uh, I feel uh, very honored to have had you on my show. Thanks for asking. So how how do these people find you? Yeah, so I'm accessible on purpose. Um, And Mm -hmm. I say that to people because people are like, oh, I didn't think you would respond to my email. That's why my email address is all over the place. So I'm on Twitter. I'm I'm not on Facebook a lot, but I have a Facebook page. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm on Instagram. There is my personal website, BiancaLoriano.com. And there is also where I do all of my SARS and classes. That's antiuppd.com. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you find me on Twitter and Instagram, there's links on both my websites for both both of those. Yeah, say hi. Like I'm on purpose, intentionally <laughs> um, accessible. So yeah, I look forward to hearing from folks. Someday when we get to meet in person, I want to mm-hmm. see you. I want to see the gold shoes. Yes, absolutely. My <laughs> gold shoes. <laughs> So Y'all, if you're curious, go find Bianca on Twitter, the, the gold Nikes that you purchased for your, in celebration of becoming a doctor. Yes. <laughs> they are amazing. And uh, again, thank you for being on the show. And uh, folks, thanks for sticking around to the end. 